0: Hi, this is Kim Jones, and I am very excited to introduce Martina Navratilova. Martina is a true icon of women's sport. She has 18 Grand Slam singles titles and 41 Grand Slam doubles titles as the most in the open era of tennis for men or women. Over the course of Martina's career, she has fearlessly broken down barriers. Not only has she elevated the game of tennis and the training of elite players, but she has been an outspoken supporter and advocate for the LGBT community. Hi, Martina. Thank you so much for being here to share more about your story as an athlete and your support for ICONS. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yay. Um, So first, I'm hoping that you will share a bit about your experience as a young athlete, some of your earliest memories and how you got started. Sure.
1: So my family was very athletic. Uh, Even my grandmother used to play team handball with her in our our backyard. And maybe that's the best thing about growing up. And maybe the only good thing about growing up in a communist country was that women athletes were supported the same way male athletes were. We had pretty much the same opportunities other than maybe some sports were for boys more than girls. But uh, P.E. was equal. uh, the, the, the athletic uh, uh, events and competitions were equal, tennis was equal, I could always play a tournament they were for girls just as much as boys, so the, uh, I was always supported as an athlete, and, um, and, and later when I became a, one of the elite athletes in the country, I got the financial support as, as small as may have been, you know, a couple of free rackets and strings, etc., uh, it was, uh, there was no difference between boys and girls support. So that was, that was good. I was really shocked when I came to the States and, at 16, and I realized that girls were not getting the same fair shake as boys, uh, that girls were encouraged to be cheerleaders rather than actually playing the sport. And, and uh, the different rules for basketball for girls and boys, <laughs> because girls couldn't run that far. I was really surprised about that. And, um. Uh, and then of course sideline happened, which I did not comprehend all of it uh, at the time, but um, you know, because I was too young to know everything that was going on. But now looking back, I just realized how monumental that was despite um, public opinion about girls in sports. So again, growing up, uh, I was encouraged. I loved playing tennis from, from the get-go and uh, worked my way up the ranking with my help of my father and a coach.
0: And, um, and, and that was that. How old were you when you started? What were your first tournaments?
1: Right. So I first played tennis when I was five. I went to the club with my, with my parents and uh, just played with my grandmother's racket on the wall until I could hit, hit the ball with, hit, hit a forehand. And then I, my dad took me on the real court at seven. I played my first junior tournament, 12 and under, when I was nine. And they almost didn't want to let me in because I was so little. I was really one of the smaller kids in my class. I didn't really grow till I was about 13, 14. Uh, but we talked them into letting me play. And, and I got to the semifinals. And my mom had to bring some food to us uh, uh, we were like 50 miles away, and uh, she had to take the bus and bring up some some food and money because we ran, ran we ran out of both. <laughs> because I didn't think I was gonna last that long. So yeah, I was playing girls that were you know a foot ho- taller than me, but uh, I held my own then. And uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, I competed against much much bigger girls because the category was only 12 and under, and I was nine. But I knew I. This is what I wanted to do. I loved the, the sport. Never there was never a day where I didn't want to play tennis.
0: So was it from that moment, like your first tr- your first tournament? You were like tennis is my thing, or
1: was pretty much. I think I was about eight or nine when I saw Rod Labor play in in Czech Republic and uh, and other other professionals. He was left handed. I'm left handed, so. And I loved the way he played. I'm like, that's that's how I want to play. But I always loved coming to the net and, and, and uh, you know, make things happen. Even when I was nine years old, I would run to the net. They'd lob me. I'd run back and work my way back up to the net. That's where the action was. Uh, so my dad always had to push me to go back to the baseline because I just wanted to hit volleys. So, I, yeah, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I didn't know how far it would take me. Uh, but that was my dream to win Wimbledon and uh, and travel the world. Because when, of
0: when do you think you realized that it was an option for you to make a career of this?
1: It, it was more of a possibility of travel. The career thing didn't happen till much later, like when I was maybe 14, 15, when I mean, Rod Labor signed a professional contract when I was six, seven years old for $100,000, but he had to work his butt off for that and it was after he won the grand slam so mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly a career to play tennis you didn't really make money you got money under the table it was an amateur sport it was when it turned we pro in 68 i was 12 years old then the possibilities were there but again women were getting much less prize money than than the men uh, mm-hmm. so for me it was more a way of traveling and maybe making some money for for the family so we can buy a car uh, etc. Uh, but of course, the Federation wasn't letting me keep the prize money. I didn't get to be a pro until I was uh, 18 years old. Until then, I had to give all my prize money back to the Federation. And only when I was uh, 18, uh, uh, I was able to keep the prize money and, and I had to give only 20% back to the Federation. So, so the, when you
0: said you, the first time you came over to the States, you were 16. Did you, was that for professional tennis? Yeah. Yeah. So over? I won the Czech
1: championships the year before when I was 15. I won the senior championships. Um, even before I won the junior championships, under, <laughs> I just kind of came of age that week, started playing really good tennis. I was by myself uh, because it was in Ostrava, which is a town maybe 200 kilometers from Prague. So I traveled by myself uh, to, to there um, and, and played, uh, just came of age during the tournament. So I became number two, three in the in the country, which then allowed me to travel. The next year I was sent on the tour mm-hmm. in, in America, the USLTA professional tour. So I played eight weeks in a row. And uh, yeah, that was kind of sink or swim at, the, at that point. I played Chris Everett for the first time, uh, the fourth tournament there. How'd that go? First meeting. I I lost seven, six, six, three, but my goal was for her to remember my name, so (laughs) she did.
0: (laughs) You, you all have legendary, legendary meetings along your career path. Um, So, what can you talk to us a little bit about what happened between your first visit to the states at sixteen and then at eighteen when you came over permanently?
1: Yeah. Well, I uh, worked my way up the rankings. Uh, like in 75, I started being able to keep my prize money. <clears throat> but then the Federation started putting some uh, um, uh, restrictions on me uh, with travel. They had to approve my travel. You can't just go and get visa and and, and, and travel and play play a tournament. You, you did not have that freedom in a communist system. So the Federation had to let me go. And, and that summer, they said, no, we're not going to let you go to the US Open, even though I was top four in the world at that point. Uh, and uh, that's when I realized I had to leave the country so that I would be in, in, my, in, in control of my destiny, in, in control of my potential, <clears throat> rather than asking permission to see if, when I can play, how much I can play. Oh, uh, how did so, you, do, how did you
0: leave like what so you... so
1: when I got the permission to play the US Open, I played the US Open I lost to Chris in the semifinals and that that uh, day that day or the next day I think it was that same day or maybe the next day It was a Friday night I went to the uh, with my manager, uh, Fred Barman took me to the immigration naturalization service filled out all the paperwork, it was late at night they said don't say anything to anybody. Uh, I had to prove that I wasn't a communist spy. Uh, And and the next day I was granted the the asylum. But meantime, it was also in the newspaper the next day (laughs) because somebody spilled the beans from the INS. Uh, So it was in the Washington Post the very next morning. So all hell broke loose. I had to do a press conference like I've never done before. There were people, you know, holding their mic. Their head was right here. I was on my own. My English was still pretty broken. And we didn't have advisors, you know. I mean, I was on my own. Uh, so, and a little, it was not on my own. I couldn't go back. Uh, it was a one-way ticket for me. I didn't see my family, my, my mom for four years, my um, my sister and my dad for five years. And um, yeah, it was it was tough. If I went back, they would have put me in prison. So, that was not an option. And my parents couldn't get the visa because again, you had to get the permission of the government to travel.
0: So athletes always talk about a support structure around them that's so necessary to help them succeed and, you know, when make the stars align when they're, when they have that opportunity. What did you do at that time? Did you have coaches in the States? Like, did you already, how did yes. it work for you?
1: Yeah, this is a very good question. So I, I, at home, I had, I had the support of the Federation and also, of course, my father was still my coach. When I left, I was on my own for six years. I had nothing. The USTA certainly wasn't supporting me. Um, it didn't occur to me to get a coach, at least when I was at home. At the beginning, I lived in Dallas. Then I, moved to, uh, uh, then I moved to Charlottesville. Then I moved back to Dallas. I had some relationships, some not so good ones, some okay ones. And I always moved to where my girlfriend was. And uh, it didn't occur to me to kind of get a coach. Um, everybody had coaches in their hometown. Uh, hardly anybody traveled, with their coach, other than maybe Jimmy Connors, he had his mom, and Bjorn Borg had Leonard Bergelin, Bergelin he had his coach. There are a few players but that had a coach on the road with them, but most people did not, so it didn't occur to me. So it was only in 81, uh, six years after I defected, that by chance, Renee Richards started helping me during the U.S. Open, and I asked her to coach me, and uh, that's when I really took off with my career. Nancy Lieberman helped me get in shape, motivated me to get in shape and, and get going I,
0: I thought, remember what you,
1: that you, what do you mean you, I'm not in shape and then she put me through some suicides on the basketball court I'm like holy shit I need to get in shape <laughs> so I started training then I got Renee as my coach so then I had the support system in place between Nancy and, and Renee and then three years later my guest step was my coach mm-hmm. uh, so I had people that supported me that helped me uh, and that's when my career really took off. So I won two Wimbledon's on my own. Literally, um, there that's was nobody that, that, w- that would help me or that would know what to tell me. So um, yeah, uh, I, I really learned about tennis when I was 26 years old when Richard sat me down and we went over the tech technique, tactics, etc., and really started putting in the mileage on the court and off the court.
0: Wow. Um, can you share like in those? years when you were at the peak of your career or even leading up, what were some of the big moments that you remember, what you loved most about the experience?
1: I, you know, it's not moments I loved, uh, once I started getting into the game, really mentally, uh, and tactically, intellectually, I loved it. I, I always loved the sport. I just didn't really have, have the people around me to, to kind of Bounce ideas off of, or help me with my technique, etc. So once I started getting into it, it was like uh, a, a, a revelation in that how much I didn't know and how much I wanted to learn, and and I just took it like a sponge. So uh, it wasn't any one moment; it was just really enjoying myself. I, I like the process. I really enjoyed the process of of getting into the nitty gritty of uh, you know where we can find extra five miles an hour on my serve or you know, be more steady on the forehand or, or change my strategy a little bit better uh, and think during the match, etc. So it was always a challenge to me every day. I was trying to figure out how I could get better. And uh, and so uh, it, there was not any one moment. It was just this, this whole immersion in the sport, as well as being able to walk away from it. Uh, you know, once I left the court, I was, you know, I was ready to do something else. So I left it on the court and I think that's why I lasted as long as I did because I was curious about other things outside of tennis, but when I was doing the tennis thing, I was all in. Is there one trophy that's your favorite uh, yeah, I know, not really. I mean, of course, Wimbledon trophies. Uh, Wimbledon was always uh, the, had a special place in my heart. And uh, that's the first tournament I saw on TV. That's the one I wanted to win. I didn't realize my game was perfect for grass, but it was.
0: Yeah. I just
1: didn't know it until I got on it oh and um and so those not that, that that record is the only record that i really went after when i got to eight which was the record held by helen was moody i wanted to get to nine because then i would hold it all on my own and, and i ended up getting there but it took a while i had to learn some new things at an old age uh and Billie jean Billie jean helped me on that front
0: oh yeah that's cool um do you i want to ask do you feel like you always had fair competition throughout your entire career. Were the rules in place to protect the integrity of your sport? You felt secure about that?
1: Yeah, uh, but Yes, for the most part, I would say so. I mean, uh, it was pretty d- denominative, uh, you know, divided by sex, of course. And then you have divisions by age, 12 and under. Uh, of course, I was nine, but, you know, they were bigger, but there was no 10 and under. So that's, I wanted to compete. So I didn't care where I ended up. I just wanted to play then 14 and under, then 18 and under, and then, then the seniors tour. And then on the pro tour, it was uh, based on rankings and, uh, and et etc. So there was no, oh, I'll pick you to be on the team because I like you. Uh, actually, my very first tournament uh, that I played was in Fort Lauderdale, in fact, and uh, I was pretty unknown then, right? So uh, there was another Czech player with me on, in the tournament. It was only a 16 draw. So the, the tournament director Put, a, put put one Czech player, which he knew the older one, not me. And then he put another player from Italy into the draw because they didn't want two Czechs in the draw because one was already there. So I kind of got demoted because of the country I was from. So I had to play qualifying and I qualified and then I won the first round and I lost the second round. So it was like totally, um, you know, the subjective uh, way of deciding of who gets into the draw. This is way before we had rankings And I'm like, this is not right. But I'm like, okay, screw it. I'm going to qualify anyway. So I did. Uh, But that's really, after that, we started getting rankings. So there was no favoritism or anything like that. So (laughs) i never felt really slighted in any way. And maybe that's why I picked tennis because a coach uh, of a team can take you in or out. I did not have that problem. It was all on me. If I won, I get, you know, I I go further in the tournament. If I lose, I go home and I play next week. So I really like that uh, being able to be in charge of my own destiny. And again, that's why I left the country.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, i one thing female athletes. So now we're going to head on to one of the some of the issues that women are facing in sports right now. Um, a lot of female athletes are facing at all ages and across all levels that they should be willing to compete against males, young right. or old. Um, how would that have made you feel and do you have anything to say or you can add the conversation on that
1: sure well again competing against boys when i was eight nine years old i was as good as most of them but i wasn't better than all of them and i was by far the best female athlete in in our school and even when we had school meets and i realized wow i'm really good because i was beating other girls too but boys were still better they, they were faster mm-hmm. and this is nine, 10, 11 years old so it was always understood that it would be divided by by sex. There was no quibbles about it. And then of course, Renee Richards came on the tour, won the right to compete uh, back in 76, I think it was, uh, sued to play on tour, but she had been uh, on hormones and had the surgery and everything for years and years and years prior to playing on the tour. And we were very accepting. Uh, I welcomed Renee, became my coach for three years after uh, 81. Uh, and played doubles with her. And I was so thrilled that she was able to play, but I'm not sure how thrilled I would have been had she been beating all of us because had she transitioned and played on the tour 10 years earlier, she would have beaten us, even though she was you know, not even top 100 on the men's tour. She would have been number one in the world on the women's tour had mm-hmm. she transitioned earlier. So that's when you realize, wait a minute, it's okay, but not really because uh, she would not have been a successful um you know, uh, had she had she played on the men's tour, she wasn't that successful. So it wasn't a lateral move. And, um, you know, but it was one off, we just thought it's one off. So um, it was kind of okay. But and now Renee- Renee as a human being, I loved her. She's still a good friend of mine. And we stay in touch and uh, just got an email from her the other day. Uh, so And she agrees with me on this. She says, looking back now, I don't think I should have been allowed to play because you cannot take that advantage away no matter what you do. And that's what's happening now. Uh, We thought when we started the women's sports uh, uh, working group, we thought we could find a way to include uh, transgender women in in fair competition with girls and and, and women. And we found that really is impossible. Once they go through puberty, you cannot undo the, the... Advantages that that biological males have so I my heart goes out to all the women and girls that have to compete uh, against biological men. Um, um, males, I should say, and it's um, it's difficult because I want to include transgender women, I know how important sport is to all of us. But we women have fought so hard to get this equal opportunity to even have the right to play sports then to have the equal opportunity to play sports, equal funding, et cetera. And now we're supposed to make room for men who not now ID as women, great for everyday life, absolutely supported in society at large, but we have categories in sports for a reason. And this is, this is the reason. So I'm not accusing any trans women of cheating, but what about the men that may want to cheat, uh, that are not trans women, but they will, they 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 could pretend, uh, they could say, you know, IID is a woman. It's reversible. Even when you take the hormones, you take them for a couple of years, you can reverse back out, uh, as has been happening um in other fields, in other countries. So it's just, uh, it's just a really unfortunate uh, situation, because we want to include uh, everybody that that wants to compete, but it has to be done fairly and people say oh but look at michael phelps you know he's got a big advantage with his body we don't categorize people based on their size based on their the size of their hands etc and by the way that advantage is minute it's like 0.1 percent yeah <laughs> against the other guys because they're <laughs> all they're all massive right they're all like six foot eight and you know massive humans that's why they swim because of the body type <laughs> they're, not, they're not jockeys they're too big to be jockeys Basketball players don't don't become jockeys, and jockeys don't become basketball players for a reason. It's that body type, and so male bodies are automatically have that advantage when you when you when you look at it. And and so when they say, "Oh, but Michael has an advantage," yeah, it's called it's called biology. Yeah. Um, it, that's how that's his DNA. So um, I you know, my heart, heart goes out to the women and girls that are put in this position, the the swimmers on the Penn Penn University uh, team who were basically told to shut up or put up and deal with it and go see a therapist. If you have a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. We, we need to just keep stepping back and, you know, bend over and let the men step on us of uh, trans women step on us and get up there. It's not okay. And uh, so I, that's why I, I, I spoke up a couple of years ago and, and uh, I've really gotten myself immersed in, in this, uh, situation
0: well thank you for having the courage to do that on behalf of of women (laughs) um uh, that's it's thank you for taking the time to share all that we are forming icons now this organization because we feel like um yes the the act the, the fact that women aren't being invited to the decision making tables and are being asked to be quiet when they feel like they're facing injustice or unfair treatment um it's We feel like it's time for us to build this network so that people don't feel alone. And when they want to have, when something comes up um, for women and female athletes that there is an organization and a voice that has their back. I would love to, hear why you think that's important and why you think the time is right for us to um, hold people together.
1: It is essential to have a voice uh, at the table, a seat at the table where these decisions are made. And I'm so sick and tired of men deciding what women can and cannot do. I've lived it in communist country. Women are living it here in this country now as as, as to the healthcare. And women athletes are living it with men in positions of power and whether it's the IOC or NCAA, or whatever the organizations are that decide the rules, it's mostly men and uh, women athletes are not invited to the table. So it's essential that th- these girls and women have a body that represents just them. Women's Sports Foundation has not been there for girls and women. The National Women's Law Center has not been there. NCL Nas- National Center for Lesbian Rights has not been there for the lesbians. It's it's become so dis- uh, div- uh, not diversified, uh, divided in that um all these groups are putting um transgender rights above women and girls rights Mm -hmm. and so it's essential to have a group that really has our back hundred percent presents the evidence presents the science and is able to speak out without uh repercussions the athletes can speak out for themselves the parents yeah everybody's been shut out of this debate And uh, I think this group icons can really make a difference uh, uh, on this issue uh, because it's not going to go away and it's not going to get better. And people say, "Well, it's just not not that many trans women athletes." Well, how many is too many? Is it one? Is it ten? Is it a hundred? Which sport? How do you how do you make it okay? Well,
0: and I you can't. That's an I think that's an interesting question because we also ask. Um, you know, how, how many times is it okay for the rules to be unfair? How many times is it okay for, um, you know, if it was a men's competition, how many times is it okay for someone to have an unfair advantage, whether it be through doping or being placed in the wrong para category? How many times is too many? The answer
1: is never. So yeah. And uh, so uh, I, I salute icons for For forming this organization, I will support it any way I can, and uh, I think it's great that uh, we have it, we need to spread the word so people know more about uh, what we're about. Um, I think we have the support of majority of of people Mm -hmm. It's not a democrat or republican issue, this is not a political thing at all it's all about sport and fairness and um, again when people say oh but you know it's it's never fair well it's never fair yes. But this is the best way to make it as fair as possible divide by sex not any
0: other way thank you so much martina do you have any parting words for our young athletes and girls who are just getting involved in sport and maybe intimidated or excited about the future i would do you want to pass any words of wisdom on (laughs) yeah
1: Keep at it. If you love your sport, stick with it. You'll be okay. We will have your back. And uh, you know, there's so many good things that come from being an athlete, learning life lessons and forming relationships that you will have for the rest of your life. Um, only good things come from playing sports, whatever sport it is. So stick with it and uh, uh, and we'll be there for you.
0: Thank you so much, Martina. Right. Pleasure to have you. Right. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Thanks, Thank you.